The following audio is a recording from Holy Cross Church in Tucson, Arizona. Let's read from Ephesians chapter 1, starting in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the promise of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespass, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this this potent message of your grace, this overflow of joy that you have in revealing yourself to us, in choosing us, loving us, giving us your presence and your mercy. Be with us this morning and teach us about who you are so that we can glorify you and enjoy you forever. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's have a seat. Well, in this teaching series, if you've been following along with us, it's called See What God Has Done. We've been following the main storyline of the Bible and pausing on big picture ideas that help us see God's story and how we fit into it. So we started with God's revelation a few weeks ago, understanding that all we know about God, who he is, his nature, his love for us, how we are to respond to him, all of that is He has revealed himself to us, and it's necessary. His revelation, his making himself known to us, self-disclosure, is necessary for us to know who he is. We know him because he's spoken to us. And then we went from revelation to creation, that God created all that there is out of nothing. And he made us the crown of his creation, men and women, in his image according to his likeness, so that we could glorify him, enjoy him, and know him, and be his representatives on earth. A great privilege and a powerful uh, mark of our dignity. And then we move to the fall. We see that tragedy hits all of creation. Last week we learned that the fall of Adam and Eve and all of creation just fell into sin. And they became people for the first time who were sinful people and prone to live a life of sin. Shortly after Adam sinned, the Bible says his eyes were opened. And when they were opened, he became known of his nakedness and became ashamed of his nakedness. He experienced this emotion that he had never experienced before. Shame and ugliness and guilt. An emotion that my two-year-old son has never felt. Uh, 
what he does when he's naked would just make you blush. Now, he, but they were just seen for the first time as broken and exposed people, and they hid themselves. They were ashamed because when they sinned, sin rushed into their lives, and it affected every nook and cranny of who they were. Their, their, their ability to have relationship, their intellect, their, uh, their emotion, their relationship with God and ability to pursue Him, all of it was broken and damaged. And the fall just deeply affected how you and I are human in every way. <clears throat> Last week, we started to cross over into a new story, a new element of that grand story, into a big theme of the Bible that the Bible calls redemption. And it is the story, redemption is the story of God in reversing the fall, reversing what has been broken and restoring it to, to its glory and beauty and perfection, bringing it to full maturity where sin is destroyed. It is God's plan for reversing the fall. And we learned last week that God designed the world in such a way that even though we have inherited the guilt of one man, Adam, we can inherit the righteousness of another man, Jesus. Our sin is removed by the sinlessness of another. Our disobedience is made right through the obedience of another person. This plan of redemption is displayed in Ephesians chapter 1 that we read. And the writer, Apostle Paul, is he's marveling at God's plan of redemption, of this beautiful plan that is laid before us. He's looking at God's work and he is grateful. He is in this grateful awe of what God has done and how beautifully things fit together. Like imagine yourself after going to a movie with a friend and you get to the parking lot or maybe to the pavilion outside and already you're starting to unpack it. You're starting to talk with one another and the big story, you start to see how it fit together well and you're saying, here's what I liked, here's what was beautiful, here's what was tragic and then you're seeing how everything fit together. Paul is looking at the story of God and he is overflowed with joy and amazement. Look at the story and how marvelous it is. This is an explosion of joy, Ephesians 1, 3 through 14. An interesting note that as I came across in my, in my studies was Ephesians 3, through, uh, chapter 1, 3 through 14. In the original Greek language, this is one sentence. 202 words. No, no punctuation. No breaks. You're an English major. This is just destroying you right now. It's like what, and even in the English, as you read through these 202 words, you will still see that there are several places where it feels like run-on sentences, lots of commas, very few periods. It goes on and on and on. And either Paul is, is doing one of two things. He's either extremely bored, and he's just talking and going on and on with this monotony, and he's just nodding off, talking about God, or he cannot get the words down on paper quick enough because he is so joyful of what he's trying to express. He is joyful. He is in prison, by the way. Paul is in prison while he's writing this. And his soul has been flooded with the realization and joy of God's plan to redeem, to restore what has been broken, to redeem, to forgive, to save, to give life to broken people. And he's marveling at it, and he's telling it to us. 
in the introduction of this letter to these people whom he loves, he is saying, look at what, is, what God is like. You and I have never planned anything like God's plan of redemption. I mean, you may have put on an amazing party, a great barbecue, a great, um, a great work proposal, a great baby shower, a great family vacation, but you have never put on anything as beautiful as God's plan of redemption. And we, it is good for us to see through the story of God's Bible, what does the Bible say? And we see this amazing story and the thread of God's purpose and plan through all of it. Ephesians 1 shows us a biopsy of God's plan of redemption. It breaks it up and it shows us, it allows us to see life in it. What, what, what you might be asking is, why is Paul so joyful about this? What is it about this plan that makes him so joyful that he will not even put a period on his thought process? I'm glad you asked, because that's what we're going to answer this morning. (laughs) And I hope you're asking that. What is it about this plan that would make someone write 202 words in prison, go on and on and on, and not even take a breath? God's plan of redemption. We're going to walk through this. And just hit on a few things in this passage that helps us to see a portrait. What is his plan like? And here's the first thing, is that God's plan of redemption is to lovingly bless I don't know if you like the Big Bang Theory. It's a show on TBS. It's a bunch of nerds. I love it. It's, I love the humor. Uh, really sarcastic, really dry. But there's a character in there. I'll fill you in if you haven't seen it. There's a, a character in there. His name's Sheldon Cooper, and he's a genius, right? Graduated college when he's like 11 years old or something. He's top. He's, he's, a, he's, a, he's a, a physicist, and he's just brilliant. Just ask him. He's like the smartest guy. And he hates giving gifts, and he hates getting gifts, For this reason, he doesn't like to owe anyone anything. And there's funny scenes throughout the shows that you'll see where someone gives him a birthday gift and he becomes very anxious, very nervous, and almost wants to refuse it. But when people insist, then he makes sure to get a gift for them with equal value to the gift that they gave gave him. So if they gave him a gift of $50, he either just gives them $50 outright or gets a gift for their birthday that is exactly the same and exactly the same value. Because he doesn't ever want to be in a position of either owing somebody anything, like a debt, or ever having to pay somebody back. See, a gift is a a debt when something is required in the future to return the favor. So if someone gives us a gift as a debt, then we in the future owe them something. And a gift sometimes can be payment as well. If it's payment, that means it's given to us for a a wage that we earned in the past, like working, right? So you get a paycheck for work that you've already done. Or you've been given something, and therefore then you owe somebody back as a debt. And he sees giving, and he sees the blessings of other people as this way, as a debt or as a payment, and it makes him very nervous. We, We might have this problem, too, when it comes to understanding how God blesses, how God loves If we think that God blesses us and shows us favor and forgiveness as a reward for good behavior, then we misunderstand God's love. If we believe that God loves us and shows favor to us and blesses us as a requirement for future behavior, then we misunderstand God's love. 
God's blessing for us in Christ is neither a payment for our good work, nor a requirement for future work. Verse 3 mentions that God has blessed us in Christ, even as He chose us, it says, even as He chose us before the foundation of the world. In love, He predestined us for the adoption as sons and daughters. If you've spent any time in the church, you've heard the idea that God loves us. Maybe you've even sung that song, uh, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. If you had a multiple choice test, even if you are maybe even not a Christian, maybe if you've never been to church and you have been given a multiple choice test and it says, what is God like? And you were given multiple answers and one of them was God is loving, you would check that box. But knowing that God is love doesn't always mean that we understand it with our heart that we really understand what God's love is like, and it doesn't guarantee that we understand God's love even in a biblical way and in a right way. God blesses us in Christ, and by the means of his love for us, he sets this plan in motion before we were even born. Not even before we were even born, but before anything was born, before the foundations of the world. God knew you, Before you were born. Before God created anything that there is, He had you in mind. Think about that. What does that do? Does it make you feel, I don't know, when I first realized this, it made me feel incredibly uncomfortable. I didn't want it to be true. I didn't want to be so vulnerable with somebody that has known everything about me, not only known everything about me, but fashioned everything about me, that has formed me in my mother's womb and knows the most intimate thoughts, the most intimate attitudes and emotions that has created me and had me in mind before anything was created. He was thinking about me. That's just amazing. God's plan of redemption is such a blessing because knowing that truth and knowing that he would extend love to us before we were even born, who before we could ever do anything good or bad, that it is not our work. It makes the plan of redemption so much about his love and grace. It shows us that He is a God that lovingly blesses. That God does not choose us because we are holy, but He chooses us and He makes us holy. That God does not choose us because we are blameless, but He chooses us and then He makes us blameless. That God does not choose us because He sees something good in us that we would do in the future, but so that He could make something good come out of us. And the evidence that he, t- that he has loved us in this way is that he has chosen us to be blameless and holy and that the gospel has come to us, been revealed to us. We see it, we hear it, and we embrace it. We believe it. We believe that we are sick people in need of God's forgiveness. And this is evidence that God's favor rests on us. My love for my own kids has 
helped me in a, in, a, in a big way understand God's love for me and God's love in general. Now, you can grow increasingly learning about God's biblical love without being a parent. You definitely can. But there is something that I have learned that God has used my being a father to understanding what God the Father is really like. And it's also shown me how wrong at times I get God's love or how wrong at times I think of God's love. Coming home has been one of my favorite moments of the day because my son runs to me and says, Daddy home. And I have never thought once, it has never crossed my mind, hmm, there's an interesting dynamic going on here. He seems to love me. He seems to have enjoyed me. Maybe I can come home and he runs to me and greet me. I can feed into this and express love in return and maybe that will get him to eat his vegetables tonight. Never have I thought, well, I could use this somehow. I could harness this. I can manipulate this in order to get what I want him to do for me, to be an obedient child, to be a good child. I have loved both my son and daughter way before they knew it. I've prayed for them long into the night. I've thought about them before they were even born. I've prayed for them. I've cared for them. I think about them when they have no clue. I look at them and just stare at them, and they don't have any idea, and they're going to grow up, and they're going to think I'm crazy because I just look at them and delight in them. If I can feel this way for them as a sinful, broken father, what does God the Father think of me? Gosh. If I can feel that way, As a sinner, what does the God of the universe who has thought of us before we were born think of us? The Bible says that he loves us, that we are his beloved, that in Christ, that when he he fills us with the truth of who we are and who he is, and when we believe in that, we are in Christ, we are adopted as his children, and he thinks of us in this way. God choosing us, adopting us, and giving himself to us is based on his grace before we were even born. It doesn't flow from a a desire to manipulate us into doing what he wants. It doesn't flow from uh, a future hope that we would be obedient or even a future knowledge that we would obey him. It doesn't flow from any good that is within us. It flows from his desire to lovingly bless us as a good father. You may be thinking, man, if I believed that, so much in my life would have to change. Good. You're growing. You're learning. You're understanding what the love of God is like. And Paul is just, he's exploding with joy about this. Guys, look at how awesome God is. Look at what he has done. And do you see the, the implications of his love That before we were born, he chose us to be holy and blameless and to be with him. We didn't deserve this. What a gift. What a blessing. Then he goes on and and he talks more about God's plan of redemption. Here's another thing that we see is that God's plan of redemption is to substitute Jesus for us. Verse 7 says, in him we have redemption. Redemption through what? Look at the passage. Redemption through what? Through our obedience? No. 
through our familiarity of the Bible? No. Through the content of our character? Through the energy of our own righteousness? Through the family we grew up in? No. In Him we have redemption through what? Through His blood. Now in Genesis chapter 2, He gave a warning to Adam. He said, if you sin, you will die. God's plan of redemption was to place that curse on Christ. That promise, that punishment on Christ, that if you sin, you will die. His whole plan of redemption was to place that curse on Jesus so that when we sin, Jesus will die. That by faith, sinners like Adam and me and you would have eternal life. Romans 6 says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. The plan of redemption involved an agreement between God the Father and God the Son, Jesus Christ, that Jesus would be the one who took on sin and punishment so that we could be forgiven. This is his plan throughout all of Scripture. Look at this, this idea of through his blood. Now, whether you're a mature Christian, a new believer, a non-Christian, you might be asking, what's the deal with all the blood? We sing about it. We talk about being covered in his blood. What is this? What is this odd just cult that we're a part of? What's up with the blood? Why you should probably it should that's weird, isn't it? Please explain, okay. This this idea long ago God gave the law to his people, even going back to Moses. To these days of Moses, that forgiveness of sin could only happen. Through God's wisdom and his plans, forgiveness of sin can only happen through the shedding of blood. In the Old Testament, we see that God's plan of redemption, once and for all, was foreshadowed in the work of animal sacrifices, in man making sacrifices in order for their sin to be forgiven. The Bible says atoned for. The atonement is the work or the righteousness or perfection of one thing being applied to a sinner. And so when they take a blameless animal... And they sacrifice and they pour out the blood. And in faith, trusting in God's provision for the forgiveness of their sins by faith, that their sins would actually be forgiven. That their sins would be atoned for in a real way. And they would be as people who were, who were justified before God because of the blood that was shed. And this was all to foreshadow, to culminate in the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. It's the reason why he is called the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Sacrifice was and is necessary for sinners to come into God's presence. We mentioned last week that the effects of the fall reached every nook and cranny of our lives. Not a single area of our life unaffected by sin, but primarily in Scripture, when the Bible talks about sins that we commit, it is primarily talking about sin as a debt, as an offense against God, a debt that we owe God that we could never pay back. And so when 1 Corinthians 15 says, The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. It is seeing this plan of God unfold in Jesus, saying, Sin cannot be forgiven without the shedding of blood, and God in Jesus Christ, the perfect Lamb of God, has given His life and blood for us so that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life it is at the cross of christ where the debt is paid and our death sentence is applied to jesus 
Jesus paid our debt and saved us from God's punishment. And verse 10 says that Jesus' death was a plan for the fullness of time. It was, listen to this, that the death of Jesus and his sacrifice for us as a substitute in our place was the Mac Daddy of all plans. Now what this means is this was not an accident. It wasn't, look what these bad people did to our king. Look what this bad people did to this man who had done nothing wrong. What do we do now? This was plan A. This wasn't plan B. This wasn't plan C. This wasn't some, what went wrong with Jesus' life that he would be led to the cross. The Bible is saying so clearly, no, this is God's plan of redemption. All along, Jesus decided, even before we were born, that he would be the one to die in our place. It is the cross, it is at the cross that God delivers the death blow to human sin and rebellion and accomplishes the salvation of the world. And lastly, God's plan of redemption is to secure us in his love forever. This is such a beautiful aspect of God's plan that we must rest in, believe, understand even more deeply as we grow. There is truth in the Bible that says you receive Jesus and go to heaven. But eternal life does not begin the moment we die. Eternal life begins the moment we believe in Jesus. The moment that we hear of the work he has done on our behalf and we place our trust in him, embracing this gift. The work of Jesus applied to our lives through the power of the Holy Spirit. It gives us this promise that we must rest on every single day. And here is the promise, that God is not just the God who is present with you today, but the God who will be faithful to you and for his people in the history to come. God is not just saying, I am the God who will forgive your sins of the past and of the present, but I am the God who will see you into the future, who will make myself known to you increasingly into the future, who will secure you in my love forever so that nothing can separate you from my love. You guys have heard of the story, maybe, of the guy in in Russia who was in the Olympics that brought back all those dogs. You know that crazy guy that brought back all the dogs? No. This guy who has love for these animals. So Russia, one of the first things that these Olympians saw when they went to Sochi was all the stray dogs, all these dogs without a home. And so it's making the news where he just brought back as many as he could. He brought back these dogs, and he's... He's, a, he's adopting them, and he's, he's adopting them out to other, other families that want these dogs to give these dogs a home. Now, this would be an entirely different story if the story went a little different. What if this man rescued all of these dogs, all these stray dogs off of the streets of Russia, brought them on the plane, got off the plane, and let them out into the streets of America? See, this would not be a good thing. This would be, okay, once an orphan in Russia and now just an orphan in America. There's still a stray dog there, a stray dog here. He wouldn't be a hero. He would be irresponsible. He would be negligent. But some of us can think of God in this way too, that he has rescued us from sin, that he has adopted us. We are no longer orphans. We are forgiven. But now we feel just kind of orphaned again in the life that is today and ahead of us. We say, God, where are you? Why have you left me? Why have you forsaken me? Why haven't you guided me in this circumstance as you did in the past? God does not rescue us from one orphanage just to throw us into another. He adopts us, as our passage says. 
And some of you might think, well, yeah, I was, I, I was sad and alone without God, and now I'm just sad and alone with God. I feel like I, I believe in Him, I trust in Him, I go to church, but little else has changed. God's plan of re- and promise of redemption means that we can live by faith in a God who loves us and works all things according to the counsel of His will. Paul is still on this joyful high as he's writing this, and he's saying it's a good thing, a very good thing, that God does not work all things out according to our idea of how things should go. And I want you to see that, that he says he works out all things according to the way that he thinks things should go. And sometimes we don't, what we think should be right isn't always compatible with what God thinks is right. And so we take that as neglect. We take that as a loss of love. We take that as a, a loss of maybe even forgiveness or pleasure or favor on our life. We feel like maybe we've done something wrong and that's why God has allowed certain things to happen. And the question we might ask is, how long does God's favor rest on us? How long does His love, how long does He see us as these beloved children that He saw us at at one time when we first believed in Him? The Bible says forever. The Bible says that that favor, that kind of uh, beloved uh, love and blessing and attachment and union and bond of friendship does not wane at all. It says we have that until we acquire possession of it. We are adopted, we are rescued. God the Holy Spirit seals us in the love of God until we fully obtain the promise of the inheritance that is eternal life with Jesus. Carrying us through until we are with Him forever. Until that inheritance and full blessing, until sin in our life has been completely obliterated, where all shame and guilt is gone, and there is full joy in the presence of God. He says, until then, that's how long I will be with you. God is not just the God who is present now, but He is the one who is faithfully God for all of His people in the history to follow. His plan of redemption is orchestrating and executed by the God who exists in in three persons. And I, I want you to see this, this doctrine of the Trinity, this biblical concept of God is one, that there is one God, holy and perfect and majestic, and He exists in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, Jesus Christ, and God the Holy Spirit. And in this short passage, Paul is showing us, look how wonderful the plan of redemption is, that everyone is involved here, that God the Father chooses and predestines and and pursues us, and God the Son, Jesus Christ, dies for us in our place, and God God the Holy Spirit indwells us, changes our heart, and it says that He secures us in His love that He is our guarantee of our inheritance. He gives us deposit. He says, here, I'm going to give you the deposit of the presence of God that will never be taken away. And then it will culminate in completion when I come to you again. What a beautiful picture. How important is God's plan? How much does He love this? Well, it's an all-hands-on-deck approach. God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit engaged before time in our redemption. So what are you doing right now that is requiring faith in a God who loves you like that? What are you doing right now that requires you to to believe in a God who loves you and pursues you like that? Now it is wrong for us to think, and I know a message like this and maybe even 
Many of you are thinking about this, and maybe you come up to me later and say something like this. Man, I have a non-believing friend, and I just wish that they were here so that they could hear the gospel. And I would say, you need the gospel. If you've been a Christian your whole life, as it would seem, you need to hear this message of God's plan of redemption for you. Because this is true for you, it is true for the believer, it is true for the non-believer, that we all need to hear this. That the Bible teaches us to be preoccupied with the love of God and a love like this. So much so that our hearts will be stirred with so much joy, so much peace about the present and future that we have with God. That the Bible says we will have fruits of righteousness. If we are preoccupied with the love of Christ, we will bear fruits of righteousness. We will trust in Him. We will walk by faith. What are you doing right now in your life that is choosing to trust by faith in your circumstances? Some of these things mean that we will love our enemies and love them without requiring anything in return. It means that we will give freely and openly, that we will trust God when we face challenges, that we will increasingly love what God loves and increasingly hate what God hates, that we would make decisions not based on what seems reasonable, based on success or wealth or income, but we will make decisions based on faith when sometimes it seems to contradict what would seem reasonable in our own minds. It means that we would not hide from our sin when we are confronted of it, but we would run towards Christ like he runs towards us. That we, when our sin is exposed and our weaknesses are in front of us, that we would not hide like Adam and Eve hide, but we would pursue Jesus and the promise of his forgiveness. That we would orient our lives even today around the forever concept of God. That we would plan, that we would believe, that we would live, that we would have a contentment based on and oriented around forever with God. That we would ask questions like, what would I do right now if I were to live as a person who could not lose God's love? We would live with a security that maybe would be new to us. We would live with a confidence and a joy and a peace. We would live with, with our hands not, not anchored and our feet not anchored to the earth, but we would live as, as free people, blessing without return, being generous, being forgiving, pursuing God as often as we are able, being thankful in all things, trusting Him because He is good. We would know that we can never be too humble. We would find nourishment from His Word. We would be characterized by a committed, contented, and passionate love for God. You see, when we talk about redemption, we must see that relationship is at the the heart of God's plan of redemption. It is not merely just this dry doctrinal belief, but Paul saw this and he got it, and for that reason he used no periods because he saw the relationship that he had with God based on no work of his own. And when we find our place in the story of God's redemption, it is one of the most freeing and beautiful things that we can find ourselves in. The joyful experience of knowing that when we look at Christ and what he has done, and we, uh, we acknowledge we are sick and we need you, my trust is in you, that we are his and his forever. Let's live in that reality.
today and forever. Let's pray. For more audio and information, please visit holycrosstucson.com.